Hope Carpool Q&A. Welcome back, everybody. Keen for another week of Carpool Q&A. This is our regular car trip where Tom's in my car. This is Pastor Tom. We're driving up the road to Hope Reform Baptist Church for Tom to preach. We've just come from the Gold Coast Church plant. Yep. Now, some of the viewers might not know, but we haven't done this in, what, like a month? We had a, we had a backlog of videos, so yep. it's good to be back. I've missed the thrill of having my pastor in a passenger seat as we and speed we along the highway. Parishioners. As we sit at the at the speed limit, at the speed. We just passed Jack. Up at the corner, he's gonna appear in the uh, back yep, corner here. Yep. So. If you see um, someone in the back corner, uh, you know who it is. All right, today we've got some more questions around homiletics, and that's the theology of preaching. I'm gonna focus more today on the practicalities of preparing for a sermon, how to preach, things to consider. Um, yeah, very good, Tom. Just generally. Wait, explain why we have such horrible audio this time around. Oh yeah, okay. We don't, yeah, we apologise for the audio. It Not was, we. It was Tom's fault. What did you do, Tom? <laughs> oh, I, I plugged it in. Somebody got dodgy, dodgy, uh, dodgy microphones. Yeah. Donate. Let's let's get a, a drive going. We need you to donate money if you appreciate these videos for a better camera a better and camera. Better, better audio thing. You guys don't know, we, we filmed this on my iPhone 7. Yeah. I think it's a 7. I don't even know. Make it use with what we've got. Alright, what? How should someone prepare for a sermon? They shouldn't. They shouldn't. As the uh, revivalist of the 1904 Welsh Revival said, I do no time preparing. I just prepare myself in the Lord and come and I want it all to be about Him. So He speaks through me. That's a, it was a very unwise, unadvisable thing to do. Mm. Uh, one should prepare. Uh, you know, I think the best, the best, the most brief way to say it is somebody should prepare, should prepare appropriately. Okay, so there are some sermons that I never prepared for, or that, that I did no preparation for because I was asked to do it last minute. Some sermons I've prepared maybe thirty minutes for, and the rest was just praying and prepping, you know, my soul because I don't need long to. If you if you if you got a pastor who has been in the word for ten, five, even five years, and they need more than thirty minutes to prepare a sermon on justification, that's saying more about them than the doctrine of justification. That's that's an issue. If yep. you said to to any professor worth his salt in a in a in a lecture hall, um, can you you know to speak on some of the most basic things or, or even some of the more complex things in his field of expertise, and he said, ooh. No, I'm going to need 20 hours of study this week before I can do that. You're like, oh, maybe you don't know it as well as you <laughs> as you pretend to know it. So sometimes, and it's not an unspiritual thing to have almost no prep. Uh, um, but, but that, of course, is because all of the preparation was in the past. You know what I mean? So, so I have actually done, whenever I'm preaching a sermon, I've done at least 10 years of preparation. Because over the past 10 years of my Christian life, everything is building up to this, you know, so that I can do a sermon with no preparation um, on certain topics or on certain texts uh, because I'm so familiar with them. Others, I might want a bit of time to be able to uh, uh, know how exactly to be applying and explaining. But but on the whole, I know that what you're asking is in general, week-to-week -week sermoning, 
take somebody in my situation, preaching two times every Sunday, or well, three times, but but two different sermons every Sunday, week in, week out, um, the preparation should be uh, familiarity with the text, reading some commentaries. I usually, usually read two old ones and two new ones. Sometimes one new one, one old one, because on certain texts, everybody's saying the same stuff anyway. So I mean old guys like Calvin or Matthew Poole or, jo or um, uh, John Gill or Matthew Henry, all free online, Puritans. Other times I'm reading um, uh, New Testament commentary uh, series or whole Bible commentary, you know, more, more, more modern public publications, um, just because sometimes there's newer heresies or newer views that are starting to get themselves in the text, yep. uh, in, in the conversation. So, yeah, anyway, a handful of commentaries. I don't really buy into these guys who read 10 commentaries every week that they're doing. By a certain point, you just read the same thing in somebody else's words every time, or listen to a book, or listen to a bunch of lectures on a certain topic that might be coming up in that text. So, familiarity with the text, knowing it, writing it all out, charting it, like what's the big question here, uh, uh, how does he develop this case, and how can I make this apply to my people, in both teaching and understanding, and then applying it in their life. Yeah. Um, and. Uh, yeah, then read commentaries to really understand the text and fill in all of the the, the, the meat, put meat on the bones of that of, of the sermon, and then I guess um, uh, put it into a structure that I can preach and communicate. So, yeah. yeah, do you want me to go more specific? Like, how should you like deeper in how to prepare? Yeah, it? we can ask some more questions. So, okay. like around structure, how do you decide how to structure your uh -huh. sermon? You, you'll often do a gospel call to respond to the gospel at the end, but yeah. or, or you might structure it in certain ways. How do you? think about structure over sermon. So I'm a big believer that um, as much as possible, I let the text shape the way I preach. So I won't just go, um, you know, there's a passage here in the middle of Colossians and, um, I, you know, the main points are, you know, uh, you're God's chosen ones, purchased in Christ Jesus, so live holy. And I go, well, I, I want to preach the gospel at the end. So what I'll do is, I'll, I'll talk about being chosen and talk about living holy and then make it a gospel, turn it into a gospel message at the end. We've spoken in other other couple Q&As about uh, being, you know, forcing it too much to make a, a smooth gospel transition. You know what I mean? Yeah, yep. Uh, so what I would say is I will usually try and let the structure of the text be the structure of the sermon. Mm. So if Paul moves in um, imperative, indicative uh, order, I'll do the same thing. If, if the, the sermon, so for example, the other week I preached Acts chapter 2, Paul Peter's sermon, yep. and uh, I, I tried, to, I actually had most of the week thinking that I would preach it in a little bit of a disjoint because that would help me explain what I was going to say a bit better, but I, I sort of out of conviction, I prefer to, I think if I'm forcing that all the time, I probably don't understand the flow if I'm always editing the flow of the Bible to make my point. So I try and bend the knee to the structure of the text if I can. That's not always possible because, you know, maybe it's a narrative literature or it's a, it's a, it's not necessarily a, an epistle that that makes all that much sense to do. Yeah. Sometimes it, you know, the main point is in the middle and everything else is periphery. So the the main point, you know. Yep. Anyway, but um. But I would say uh, how to structure it. Yeah, I usually 
choose the selection of texts that I'll be preaching that week, or when I'm planning out my weeks, I'll say that body of text there, so those seven verses, or those 15 verses, or those two verses, that's sort of, that's a mini section within the book. So I'll take that because it has a, it has a main point in itself. I don't want to just take half a verse, oh, sorry, half a sentence, because it's very likely I'm not going to get a full point there. I, I want to get a little bit of context, and enough of a body of writing so that there's a main point there. Uh, so that's how I'll choose a section, and then of that section I want to be able to ascertain the main point, and then make my sermon based around the main point of the text. So uh, that means that once, when a pastor is preparing the sermon, that's the first question. What's the main point? What does the Every, text say? Yeah, 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 but not more, um, you know, what does the text ultimately say? Because okay. it'll say a bunch of things. It'll yeah, say, yeah. oh, the saints are, are holy. Oh, Jesus is the atonement. Okay, but why is he saying these words? Why is he saying that sentence in relation to that sentence in that order to these people? So you want to know, what's the point of him saying this? Why didn't he say nothing? Why didn't he go immediately to his next paragraph? Why didn't he say the same thing he said in Romans? Why didn't he word it this way? Like, what's the point he's making? Everything is intentional in the scripture. So, and then once you can answer that and go, oh, this is the point that Paul is making in this paragraph of Colossians, or this is the point that Peter is making in 1 Peter 2. Once you get that, you have, and you can summarize the whole text. So usually what I tell guys is if they're practicing preaching, I always say, um, write a one sentence, a very short sentence summary of the text. If you can't do that, without adding 50 commas, and you end up basically rewriting the text, right? If you can't do a very simple one-sentence summary, you don't understand the text well enough. Yeah. Keep studying it until you can basically say the main point in a few words. Then you really get it. Because that is what everything else is connected to. Why are you giving the introduction? Well, to set up the main point. Why are you explaining the words in the text? Not just to fill time, like a filibuster while you're up there preaching. Well, this Greek word technically means, and in the original use, you don't just fill fill up time. I'm only explaining this because it helps communicate the main point. Mm. And then the subpoints of a sermon are, are, should usually be three things related to that main point. So he, that's the main point, and here's how we see that in the text. Here's the main point, and here's how we see that applied. Here's the main point, and here's how we see him concluding. Like, they all point to the main text. A very Puritan way to preach used to be that they would, um, it was usually always argumentative, or like, um, yeah, building a theological case. They would say, here's the point of the text in their introduction. Here's the point of the text. I'm going to argue this theological point, point of teaching, in this way, and then based on the first part, I'm going to argue it secondarily. And then since those two are true, therefore this is true, argue it, therefore the main thesis is true. Very, very much like an argumentative essay would be structured. Um, and then you get more dynamic guys uh, like Charles Spurgeon who would say, open up with a story, hit the main point, and go, alright, that's the main point of our text, and, just, and then just nail it from like five or six different angles, or three or four different main points. So usually you would do three main points that, that um, prove or apply the main point of that text. Yeah. And, and so, yeah, once you have that, what's the main point of this text? 
and one of the three ways that I could portion up this text to prove it and to apply it, then you have your, you've pretty much got your own your structure for your sound of it. And so that's that's me trying to mirror the, the structure of the text in the, in the structure of my sermon. Yeah. Yeah. That's no, good. In terms of choosing a text, choosing yeah. a, or maybe even choosing a book to yeah. preach through, you've just decided to do an 11 week series through the book of Acts and yeah. you've picked up Colossae. How do you, as a teaching elder, think through what what word do I give to my people? Yeah. What goes through your mind in considering a text? Uh, I think the first, not to pull up the question, but I think the first thing is to think, um, to remember what do I need to give to God's people? They are God's people before they are my people. And, and that always just regrounds yeah. me in, it's going to be Bible. And need to, whatever I'm doing, I'm given the Bible, and it reminds me, which means anything I pick from the Bible is going to be fun. You know what I mean? Like, I just did a, maybe I just did a, a course in my in my Masters on Leviticus, on the Holiness Code. Maybe I do a series on the Holiness Code. You go, well, is that what they really needed? Ultimately, well, you know what, it was Bible. They, they need Bible, they got Bible. But yeah, there's always, there's all sorts, and this is where the, the responsibility of the teaching elder comes in, is to always think through... Any given Sunday, there's 66 books I could preach. There's 1,800 chapters I could I could teach. Why choose the ones I'm doing? And so I'm, I'm usually thinking through just uh, like recent sermon series. What have we already done recently? Um, but you know, by the end of last year, we'd done a few Pauline epistles. So I took a break and did Calvinism, I did James, I did First John, and I did Jude. Um, Fairly short. Took us most of the year, but those three, those three books plus Calvinism, was just sort of a break from Pauline epistles because uh, I had just done a year and a half in Corinthians. Um, so we got some of the other the other authors in mind. You, 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 you probably don't want to be running at the same time Colossians in the morning, Ephesians in the evening. That would be a bit. I mean, there's no such thing as too much Paul, right? But but you want some variety. That's what Spurgeon would always say. Is give your people some variety. There's nothing wrong with a steak. There's nothing wrong with Silverside. And if you're getting served up Silverside and steamed corn every night, you're going to start, you know, the yep. simple fact God, God gave us God gave us many different books. We may as well eat from them all. You know, God gave us many different types of food. May as well enjoy them all. So, so there's that. Like, what have we recently done? How fast is the church growing? And so how many new Christians do I have? Or how many people are new to hope and not really... Uh, embedded yet in the in the theology and the culture of hope, that's always on my mind as well. Um, certain certain books or series can help with that. We've experienced a, a handful, you know, a, a spout of growth recently, and, and so I've jumped back in the Book of Acts to do our summary. With the mind, uh, part part of that is I just love Acts. I can't spend too far away from Acts without doing some preaching on that. Uh, so it's just sort of quelling my own addiction, but. The other part is going, well, how many people were here the last time I did a portion of Acts? Um, how many people have been here for how long and, and probably need to get reminded of the mission, focus, and zeal and drive that we have at, at home? Yeah. Uh, so that's part, that's part of that. Um, uh, I would say also, um, yeah, maybe there's problems in the, in the church that are like theological problems that you might want to use a certain book to focus on but again you know I, I'm not the kind of guy who thinks that I'm going to be addressing all of the pastoral problems from the pulpit like that's <laughs> um, 
obviously not wise, uh, nor am I going to be drawing attention to all of the errors that people are having and letting that shape the pulpit. I'm really trying to lead from the front and go, here's where we're headed, here's what I want us to believe and hold and defend and contend for, and therefore using the pulpit as, as like a, I think Jesus would have us do, as a, as a vision caster, as, a, as the steering wheel of the ship taking us forward. So I did Colossians because we were due for a Pauline epistle again. I love, I love the, the, the Christology of, of Colossians was just jumping out at me. So I think, I think that also is part of something that the pastor has to be alert to is, what is the Holy Spirit just putting on my heart to just jump into and preach? Uh, yeah, so that, that's the sort of things we would think through. Yeah. That's good. And for you preaching a sermon, how do you preach in a way that addresses both the flock and the the sinner there who is not yet repentant? Yeah. Um, I think it'll probably tie in pretty tightly with the way we've, um, I think it was, however many weeks ago it was, you, you asked the question about how do we how do we relate preaching the whole counsel of God with preaching Christ and Him crucified? Yep. And of course, part of the um, the answer to that is, if you don't see how preaching Christ and Him crucified leads to the whole counsel of God being preached and extolled, then you don't understand Paul when he says that that uh, the fullness of wisdom and knowledge are in Him, and that the the culmination of all God's purposes are in and through Christ. Um, so. Uh, but but closely re related to that, what I mean is, uh, I, I I believe that that preaching, even without you know getting to the end of the sermon where there's an explicit gospel call, the whole sermon is a converting ordinance. You know, they can be saved in my introduction when I'm just explaining the context of Colossians and saying, you know, Christ Jesus purchased the people at the cross, and Paul is writing a letter to to secure them in the faith because Jesus loves them. Uh, somebody might just hear that and go that's the gospel and that might be what god uses so i'm just calling people the holiness on the you know on the on the grounds of romans 8 or or maybe colossians 3 or whatever and i'm just saying as people purchased by the blood of christ should we not and must we not live in light of that that live like people washed in christ's blood free from our sin and somebody might just hear that and go and you know and get converted yeah. um so yeah I, I always pray to that end that everything i say would be able to see somebody saved yeah. and bless the, the, the congregation um, and they will always therefore because that's just my automatic yep. view of preaching I'll always spend some time in the sermon calling the sinner to faith demanding that they think about it there and then um, uh, so yeah I guess I, I, but when I'm preaching at the when I'm preaching the gospel at the end there I'm not I don't want any Christians to tune out and go oh this is for the unconverted guy mm. it's for us yep. I'm, I'm, this is what we all need to be able to live out what we've just heard is to remember it is by Christ and Christ alone that we come. It is by Christ and Christ alone that we feast. It is by Christ and Christ alone that we live and obey everything we just read. So, yeah, um, uh, I think as long as you're opening the word up with those things in mind, what do the people of God need? They need exhortation and they need gospel. What do sinners need? They need gospel, and they also need exhortation. They need to hear what they're being called to. Mm. They need to see what the Christians are, are hearing and obeying. Mm. Um, uh, yeah, so that's that's Amen. really how I'm preaching it. Yeah. All points, eyes eyes on them both. How good for you personally as a as a preacher? 
what would you say are some of the the blessings and the struggles as a someone who preaches week in week out in your walk with God and as a pastor? Uh, all right. Um, well, obviously, one of the blessings is that I get to do full time what people wish they had more time to do, which is read Bible, study Bible, delve deep into Bible. You know, eight. 10, 12 hours a day. That's my job. Um, <clears throat> meet up and speak to people about Jesus. Meet up and counsel people about how to obey the Word. Like that's that's what a lot of Christians just wish they could have more time to do, and it's awesome. And that's yeah. good. But I get to do that full time. That's I'll never never get over the blessing that that is to be called by a people who say oh, we want you to do this full time. We see God's blessing on your life, and then to to know that that's ultimately ordained by God. That God has said, I'm going to bless you with being able to do this full time is both a, a tremendous privilege but also a, a very crushing weight um, to know that uh, every every lapse in sanctification every every missed opportunity at, at, at increasing my knowledge or increasing my my uh, efficiency or, or praying is always going to have an effect on the whole church that's huge um, I take very seriously what what is said in like the reform pastor by Baxter in lectures to my students by by Charles Spurgeon and any other great pastoral books about uh, what basically what Paul said to Timothy keep a close watch on your life and on your doctrine because by doing that you will save yourself that is save yourself from many downfalls and save your hearers people will be converted on the condition that you are holy and committed and devoted so that that's that's sort of a crushing weight what Paul called the anxiety for the churches yeah um, which I, of course, only know a fraction of compared to his pastoral heart. But mm. um, no, but the other blessing is being able to, yeah, just, pre I mean, even more specifically, a pastor of hope, being able to preach to a people that are constantly, insatiably hungry for the Bible is a, an amazing blessing. I just, I've never known what it's like to have to get up and try and convince people to have to, you know, it really matters, this Bible thing, please stay away, please stay alert while I preach. And then have to fight off 10, 20 people saying, oh, you went a bit long today, Pastor. Yeah, no. I'm just always getting asked, why, why didn't you keep going? Why'd you stop so soon? What, you know, what, what are we doing next? One when, hour's not long enough, Tom. Yeah, when can we catch up? Why don't we do this? Why don't you do that? Um, is is, the, is the, the, you know, the joy of my life to be able to feed, feed those people and, um, I'd be called of God to do that is is glorious. Yeah. How do you deal with the tension of every week bringing to the people of God a reality and a standard that you will never be able to live up to? Like you're preaching holiness that you'll never obtain. Uh, no, I I would I know what you're saying. Yep. Uh, but I, if I can't obtain it, then I'm not going to preach for it, right? Mm. That was a close concept. It was fine. Oh, we're good. We're good. We made it. No, it didn't beep at us, so that's all right. Um, no, I'm, I'm always... If I'm... I know what you mean. If I'm preaching perfect holiness, I always have to remember, you know, isn't that pulling at me? I'll never be able to do what I'm preaching. I don't preach perfect holiness for the people of God. Uh, because Paul never does that. Mm. He never says, um, uh, in a real, uh, li real life manner, be perfect. Um... It's always, in light of what Christ has done, push on to perfection, aim at perfection, mm. but he'll never actually hold up as a genuine standard of ex expectation, I'll say that, mm. actual perfection. So what I'm always preaching to people is, know the gospel, never make an excuse for yourself, 
pursue at all times, in all ways, a Christ-likeness as much as you possibly can, and uh, expect God's blessing for that, etc., etc. So, so, in one, so I'm preaching a very high standard, but it's always a standard based on grace. So, um, I, I would actually say I'm, I'm, I'm almost always trying to not preach something that I'm not living up to. Mm. I only want to be preaching. I don't want to leave my own life and my failures, at, you know, the, the highest that I'll preach up to. Of course, I'll preach despite that. But, but I mean, uh, I don't want to preach in such a way as, as to think this is always an impossibility. You know, Moses said to, put, to the Israelites, and I, I think is even more applicable in the Christian life, the word of God is not far from you. It is not in a distant land, and it's not up in heaven, it's not down, down beneath you. You need to go get it. The commands mm. of God are to you right in your mouth. You just, just by faith, swallow and, and obey. Um, you know, holy husbands, leading their family, uh, evangelizing, working hard to build the church, uh, not sinning in horrible ways, giving up on pornography, stop being covetous. Those things are actually within our reach and we ought to live in them. And mm. that is the expectation, mm. not perfection, but I'm never preaching perfection. Mm. So I'm, I'm always, uh, hopefully embodying what it is that I'm preaching. But, but yeah, obviously on the same, on the same, at the same time. Mm. No matter if I'm calling people to, to Christ-likeness because Paul says to be like him and to be like Christ, yeah, I'm always aware of the downfalls yeah. of that. And, and that is, um, uh, I guess, just always the mindset of the pastor. That, uh, uh, I'm, I'm preaching to me right now, you know? You're mm. preaching to yourself. And, and it also fills with, with confidence to know if, if, um, uh, if I can live in this, if I can fall short of this and rest on God's grace for this, then I feel in full confidence to be able to preach to the people about this. Yeah. You know? Um, so got people coming into church now. Uh, we're, we're parked outside of church cause I've got a long answer, but, um, yeah, you know, it, mm. it, 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 it reminds me I'm one of, like, I'm, I'm a sheep as well. Mm. I'm a pastor, but I'm also a, sh a sheep. I've heard uh, you use the analogy of a, uh, preaching is like holding a sword without a yeah. handle. Yeah. I got that from Craig. Who probably got it from somebody else as well, nice. but good he'll, good he'll message me. He'll get annoyed. He gets all, all kinds of upset if I don't quote him on stuff. So, yeah, it's 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 pre preaching is handling the sword of the spirit, which doesn't have a handle. Mm. It's you're gripping the blade. It's cutting you while it's cutting other people, and that's just that's the life of the pastor is to be continually cut up by the word, but being able to be healed and held together by God's spirit to be able to come to the people and and deliver something that is beneficial and edifying and encouraging mm. and upbuilding that's that's um definitely a blessing and a, and a difficulty yeah how good that'll conclude awesome. this week's Q&A sorry about the audio yeah. see you all next week with better audio once someone yeah hopefully some... God willing yeah Tom won't yeah, break the next roads, one some nice big those beautiful then we'll be living in our prosperity claim it